Father, we thank you for the goodness of Jesus. He's the only place that we can find true satisfaction for our souls. There are so many things that the world would have us believe would be satisfying. So many lies that the enemy tells us, making us think those things would be satisfying. When in reality, true satisfaction only comes from knowing you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we thank you for that, Father. I thank you. What we celebrate today, what we can celebrate every day as followers of Christ, that Jesus, our Savior, rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, and giving eternal life to all who would believe in him. I praise you for that, Father, and I pray as we seek you in your word this morning that we would continue in an attitude of worship, that we would have a great desire Lord, to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So all this week, we have followed the major events of Passion Week, as it's called, or Easter Week, or Holy Week, or um, the first week in April, whatever you want to call it, or at least the first week in April this year. And today, we, of course, I was talking about this on Friday, But on Friday, what else do you preach but the crucifixion of Christ? Now it's Easter Sunday. What else am I going to preach? All right, everybody turn to Genesis. We're going to talk about creation, which wouldn't be bad, but he's risen. risen Now you're a little bit more awake. He's risen. So we're going to talk about the resurrection unashamedly. So last week, Sunday was Palm Sunday where Jesus presented himself to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people, as Messiah. And for the most part, even though a lot of folks were laying out their clothes and palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, well, it didn't last long, did it? Five days later, people that were in that crowd are now in another crowd crying out, crucify him. On Wednesday, we talked about the Last Supper. The Last Supper being a foreshadowing of Jesus' crucifixion. And then an act we commemorate in communion when we remember his death and resurrection for us. On Friday, we, of course, spent our time looking at the crucifixion. And today, we are going to look at the greatest event in human history so far. There's one that's going to beat it. but We're not there yet. Nope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified the third day. So the women went out to the tomb. Remember when Jesus died, 
but somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon, and they were preparing for the Sabbath. So it would have been just a few hours. They didn't have time to prepare his body the way a body would normally be prepared in their culture for burial. So they came to the tomb basically to finish what they couldn't do before. And when they got there, well, the stone had been moved. And it's significant that it was women who first encountered the risen Christ. If this had been made up, if this was fake, just some myth they were telling to try to convince people that Jesus rose from the grave, they would have never chosen women to be the first witnesses to that event. Because in that culture, women couldn't even testify in court. And so if they were lying, they would have never said it was women. So that adds to the authenticity of his resurrection. So they're afraid of the two men or angels who appeared to them clothed brightly. And they come to the women and they ask them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. You ready? He is risen. The most glorious moment in history. Now, I mentioned that there is going to be one moment that will beat it. Because Paul tells us, and well, both in 1 Corinthians and in uh, both books to the Thessalonians, as well as several other places, and then John, well, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24 and 25, and then John gave us the book of Revelation, and Paul said, it this way, I tell you a mystery. We won't all die, but we'll be changed in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye, when the trumpet of God sounds, there's coming this moment when that trumpet will sound. And we're going to be gone, and I can't wait. Not yet. Maybe tomorrow. I'm not predicting anything, I promise, because I'm not that dumb. But it's coming, and we're to live expectantly, And I absolutely love, because his first resurrection guarantees our resurrection to new life. Which, if we don't die before the rapture, will happen at the rapture. And if we die before the rapture, will take place a little sooner. I can't wait. That will be the most glorious moment in human history. And if you really want to read about it, Revelation chapter 19, it is my favorite chapter in scripture. It is so awesome. I love it. I love it. But he is risen. And the angels say, don't you remember what he told you? Now we have recorded for us at least three times in the Gospels that Jesus told them of his death and his resurrection. But if you go back and find those accounts, which I don't have them for you, that can be your homework this week. If you want to homework, if you don't, don't do it. Um, Just Google it. It'll be really fast. But three different times he told them the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners. But on the third day he will rise. And every time the disciples argued with him. No, Lord, not, that won't happen to you. Now, if you're an English grammar Nazi like I am, really what they were saying, if you pay attention to the sentence structure, what, what they're saying that won't happen to you is the resurrection because that's the last thing he talked about. But they always missed the resurrection. Until now. 
And then all of a sudden, right, you can read it in verse 8. And they remembered his words. The angels say, don't you remember when he was with you, he told you this would happen? And they went, yeah, he did, didn't he? Now, it's really easy to judge them because we're not there, but we're just as dense. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We would be just as dense. So there's several aspects of this that we really need to pay attention to. Jesus' resurrection is a real historical event confirmed by non-Christian writers such as Josephus, who was a Jewish historian that worked for Rome. He recorded the resurrection of Christ. He had nothing to gain by that. He wasn't a believer. He worked for Rome. The Jewish people hated him. But in his histories, he wrote, this guy came out of the grave. We know that he actually died. One of the popular theories is known as the swoon theory. Anybody ever heard of the swoon theory? It's so dumb. The swoon theory claims that Jesus just fainted. And when they took him off the cross, they put him in the, in the cave, the, the tomb, and because the cave was cool and in the shade, he woke up, and because he's, you know, the first century equivalent of Arnold Schwarzenegger, he moved a half-ton rock by himself from the inside and walked out. Now, that would have been a miracle on its own. What's the big problem with the swoon theory? Well, there's really two. One, John 19.34 tells us that a Roman soldier pierced his side, which ruptured his heart, and blood and water came out. Now, I don't know about you. If he had fainted, that would have finished it off. Second, we have to remember who was killing him. It's the Romans. And if the Romans were good at anything, they were good at making living people dead. They were very good at that. They never would have taken him off the cross if he wasn't dead. So he actually rose. It was not a conspiracy. Some claim, oh, it's just a conspiracy among the disciples. How do we disprove that? Well, the soldiers became like dead men in Matthew's gospel. They were so freaked out that they went to the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders said, you know what? You can read all about this in Matthew 27. They said, you know what? Here's what you do. You lie and say the disciples broke him out. They stole his body, and now they're making up a story. And if it comes to your bosses, we'll bribe them. And they bribed the soldiers, and I'm guessing eventually they had to bribe the, the bosses so that these soldiers wouldn't be killed for losing the body of Jesus. Why would they try to cover it up if it didn't happen? If, they, if he hadn't risen from the dead, when they started claiming it, they'd be like, come on, we're going to go to the tomb, open the tomb, see, he's right there. But they couldn't. They couldn't produce the body because he had truly risen. Gold star. The only one who got it. Slackers. The early church called on people to confirm the eyewitness accounts of his resurrection. Which they could only do if there were actually eyewitnesses. So imagine you're going to court, and you need to prove something, and I'm going to have Cynthia be my eyewitness. I like to pick on Cynthia. But Cynthia didn't actually see anything. 
Could I call her as an eyewitness? No. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, in the first seven verses, he said, there's over 500 brothers who saw him rise from the grave. If you don't believe me, ask them. You wouldn't do that if it wasn't true. Oh, you might say, well, you know, if you don't believe me, you can ask Peter, if Peter was in on the lie. Or you could ask John, or whoever, if they were in on the lie. But he goes, there's over 500 people. Ask any one of them. I don't care which one you talk to. They all saw him. You wouldn't do that if it didn't happen. The last, and I think, other than the biblical arguments that the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the grave, it's the martyrs of the early church. All of the apostles, except John, were martyred for their faith. And it's not because they didn't try to kill John. They tried really hard. They boiled him in oil. Now, you guys know me. I'm a little snarky. And if somebody was boiling me in oil, and I wasn't getting hurt or dying, I would have to start making very sarcastic remarks. Like, hey, did you forget to light the fire? Is this the wrong kind of oil? Thanks for the bath. My skin feels great. But how, what do you do with a man when you put him in boiling oil and he just sits there and looks back at you? Hey guys, want to try something else? So what did they do? Well, they can't kill him, which freaked out the emperor, so they exiled him to Patmos. And what did God do with that? Well, he gave us the book of Revelation. But every one of them was killed. James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, he was thrown off the temple, and when he didn't die, they beat him and beheaded him. The other James, um, yeah, not the Lord's brother, was beheaded by Herod. Then we have Peter, eventually crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. So was Mark, by the way, both crucified on an X-shaped cross. Peter was upside down. Some of the others, you can go look these up historically. They're incredible. Um, who was the one I was thinking of? One of them was dragged around a town by horses until he died. I don't remember which one it was. Another one died in Egypt being killed with spears. Now, here's the thing. Let's just talk about Peter. You're Peter. You saw Jesus crucified. You were there. You saw the crown of thorns. You saw the nails in his wrists and in his feet. You were, maybe you were standing afar off, but you watched him die on that cross. You saw the agony of it. 30 years go by. All right, it's your turn, Peter. <laughs> we were joking. It didn't happen. I would not die for a lie. I wouldn't. Especially not that horrific of a death. Now, maybe one of them would be bold enough to die for the lie. Maybe two. But what about all of them? And the hundreds and even thousands since. But they saw him, so they went to their death in faith. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is God and that he conquered sin and death. 1 Timothy 1.10 But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Conquered sin and death. We as human beings 
We tend to fear things. Anybody else? Me? Snakes. The reason I own a 12-gauge shotgun? Snakes. I am dead serious. When we moved to southern Colorado originally, somebody said, oh yeah, there's rattlesnakes here. Really? I drove. Wait, did we go to Bass Pro Shop? And I'm like, I need a shotgun. Oh, you planning on hunting? Yep. <laughs> because I hate snakes. Despise them. Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, because I'm afraid of getting bitten. <laughs> right? We as human beings tend to be afraid of death. I'm not. Now, many, many moons ago, death scared me. The idea that I wouldn't live forever. I mean, when you're a teenager, you think you're going to live forever. But at some point in time, you start to get faced with that idea. This isn't going to last forever. And the way I take care of it, it's going to last even less. But I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of pain. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to die. There's part of me that's actually really looking forward to it. You know, I'm really hoping we all go at the same time. That would be much, much better. Because I would feel really bad if, well, actually, I wouldn't care, but I don't want my family to watch me go through anything, you know, painful and horrific. But I'm not afraid of it. Because Jesus conquered death. If he conquered death, then it has no sway over me anymore. Jesus' resurrection, then, is our only hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 19-22. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's our hope. That's our hope. And it's a hope that will never disappoint us. It's a truth that will never abandon us. What's more important than that? I'm going to submit to you that there is nothing on earth. Right? I love my wife. Two of my kids are here. Third one's up in Fort Collins. I love my mom, who's out in California hanging out with my brother and my niece. I love y'all. But without Jesus, this life is pointless. Without Jesus, we have no hope for eternity. Without Jesus, we can't overcome our sin. Without Jesus, we can't overcome the fear of death. Without Jesus, we don't even really live out our purpose and the potential for which God has created us here. Without him, why bother? Paul even said it. If he didn't rise from the grave, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? If Jesus isn't real, if the resurrection didn't happen, this is the whole argument he's making throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then why do we even bother? But here's the reality. He is risen. And because he is risen, we have hope. Verse 8. 
Now in verse 8, they remembered what he had said, we or they remembered his words, we talked about that. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now, that line gives us an idea of what the testimony of women, how it was thought of in first century. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So remembering the words, the women go back and they tell the apostles. In the other gospels, Jesus appears to Mary and sends her back. Luke doesn't record that for us, but their names being mentioned adds credence to the report. Yeah, you know, you know what? Who saw it? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women. Why would those three women be named? Because according to the Jewish law, all things would be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the three women were named. Some of them did not believe. They thought they were telling idle tales. Ah, oh, these crazy women. You know, they, they got up too early. They were hitting the schnapps before sunrise. I don't, did they have schnapps in first century Israel? I don't know. Whatever, they, they were putting too much, a little too much Kahlua in the coffee. And they come up and they go, Oh, Jesus is risen. He's, did you guys see it? He's risen. We saw these angels. They told us he was risen. We looked in the tomb and it's empty. You guys are nuts. Go back to bed or make me breakfast. I don't know, however that worked. But they didn't really believe him at first. Peter, and we know in John's gospel that John as well, went out to the tomb. But even going out to the tomb and seeing it empty, right, they marveled. But did they believe? I don't know. Then we have Thomas. And I know Thomas is recorded for us in John 20, but I love Thomas. He wouldn't believe it until he saw Jesus himself and con could confirm that it was him by seeing the scars of his crucifixion. Now, a lot of people call poor Thomas Doubting Thomas, and they give him a really hard time. I don't have a problem with Thomas because I, like Thomas, sometimes am a little skeptical of things. I don't want to be skeptical. I really don't. I also don't want to be a cynic, but I really am. Uh, you know, I am... Not just the glass is half empty kind of guy. I'm like, well, the glass is half empty and the water is probably poison. And if you pick up the glass, it's going to shatter in your hand. So why bother? I'm a little bit cynical. So I don't have a problem with Thomas. And the reason I don't have a problem with Thomas is because of what happened when he was presented with the evidence. Jesus appeared. And you notice when Jesus appears to Thomas, you see this towards the end of John chapter 20, he's not angry with him. He doesn't look at Thomas and go, what's wrong with you? When they told you I was risen, why didn't you believe him? No. He goes in the room and he goes, Thomas, come here. Here's the scars. Go ahead and touch. And know that it's me. And at that moment, in verses 28 and 29 of John 20, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. At that moment, he surrendered. And within 40 years, he was dead for surrendering to Jesus. And Jesus replied, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now, by show of hands, how many of you have seen the risen Christ in person? I love it when the church is honest. We haven't, right? I haven't. So Thomas, well, he believed when he saw. Blessed are we because we have believed but not seen him. Jesus called us blessed. One day we will. One day. You know, and I know the Bible talks about taking our crowns and throwing them at the feet of the Father and talks about us worshiping and and all of this. But I tell you what, and I'm going to do all of it. I know I am. But I can't wait to get there and get a hug. I just can't. That's going to be so awesome. The moment that the hands that took those nails for me wrap around me and say, welcome home. Oh, that's going to be a good day. So Peter runs to the tomb. We know John's gospel that John ran as well. And I'm thinking John and Peter kind of had a brotherly rivalry since John mentioned that he ran faster than Peter. I just love it. I mean, I got, I got to think about that. You know, John's sitting in his little house and he's got all of his parchments everywhere and his ink and his quill. And Peter comes over to visit. Oh, are, are you still working on your account of Jesus' life? Yeah, I really am. Where are you at? The part where he rose. And Peter goes, you're not going to say it, are you? What do you mean? I'm not going to say it. You're not going to put in there that you ran faster than me, right? And John was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry about it. Wait till the movie. Little did he know that for the rest of time, all who believe in Christ and read the book of John would know that John could run faster than Peter. He he marvels at what had taken place. And we should all wonder at and admire the resurrection of Christ. In Mark 12, 10 through 11, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Quote from Psalm 118, 23. I love it. So now, in verses 13 to 32, we have the account of the two men on the road to Emmaus. It is by far one of my favorite things to read in the Gospel of Luke. And what I love, and I think, I don't know this for a fact, but I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be a big movie theater. Maybe it won't. Maybe we won't need movie theaters. Maybe God will just inject it into our our brain somehow, because he's God. He can do that. Um, And we're going to get to go, okay, I want to watch. right? I want to watch creation. I want to watch the Red Sea parting. I want to see the locusts come upon. I just want to watch all the things we've learned from the word of God. And I'm hoping we get to do that because then I want to look at this. I want to see this movie in heaven. Mostly because I want to hear Jesus conduct a Bible study throughout the whole Old Testament of all the scriptures concerning himself. Because I'm going to tell you what, as many as we know, right, we can read through the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, that talks about Jesus and that talks about Jesus. I'm going to bet you, I will bet you any amount of money you want because you can't collect until we're all dead, but I'll bet you any amount of money you want that Jesus knows a lot more than we do. And he could take us through the Old Testament and point out things and goes, yeah, that talked about me. That talked about you? How did that talk about you? Well, let me show you how. Wow. And that's what he gave them. I imagine we'd have 12 more books in the New Testament if that study had been recorded for us. Or the book of John would be 80 chapters long. Or Luke. Or John. Luke. Or in Luke. You know what I mean. 
But I want to hear that study. I want to hear Jesus expound upon all the scriptures concerning himself. But we're going to skip up to verse 33. So after Jesus revealed himself to them, they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together. And they said, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told them about the things that happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And even though it doesn't say it here, I kind of think Jesus rolled his eyes. And then he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate in their presence. After Jesus met the disciples on the road, explaining from the scriptures everything about himself, then he revealed to themselves at dinner, they run back to Jerusalem, which was about seven miles. So they had just walked the seven miles down there. Then they see Jesus and they're so excited, they run the seven miles back. These guys did a half marathon on the first Easter. So if you go home and sit on your couch and eat ham, for shame. That's what I'm going to do. But if you do it, it's wrong. Right? They did, they did a half marathon on the first Easter. And they come back and they tell the 11 of his resurrection. The 11 say, oh yeah, and Simon saw it too. Then Jesus is there in the midst of them. We know from other gospels that they were in a closed room. And he just showed up. Now the Bible says that we don't know what we're going to be like, but we will be like him. At the resurrection, I want to be able to face through walls. Jesus could face through walls. I'm not saying, we, I mean, I can't guarantee that's going to happen. I'm just hopeful. He tells them he's not a spirit. They're afraid of this. And this is so important because he died a physical death and he was physically resurrected. The resurrection body of Jesus was certainly beyond our natural understanding, but he still had a physical body and that's important. It was only within maybe 10, 15 years of Jesus' resurrection that a false teaching known as Gnosticism came about. Now, according to Gnosticism, Jesus was a spirit. His death on the cross wasn't actually a death. It was symbolic. His resurrection wasn't really a resurrection because he was a spirit. And this false teaching led to this belief among some of the Gnostics that, well, we're truly spiritual beings, so we can do whatever we want with our bodies as long as our spiritual mind or our, our spiritual life is okay. So if I'm reading in my Bible and I'm praying that I can do drugs and have sex and murder people, it's not a big deal because my body doesn't matter. It's only the spirit that matters. Now we go, yeah, but that was a false teaching 2,000 years ago. Really? Oh, we have that today. We have it as people worship the gods of pleasure. We have it as people worship the god of self. Well, I believe in God, but I, I can still have sex with whoever I want. Technically, yes, God has given you that choice. But it's going to be bad for you. 
Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual being. So what difference does it make if I do drugs? Big difference. You'll see a lot of people, you'll meet a lot of people who call themselves, quote unquote, spiritual. Oh, I'm spiritual. And you, most of you have lived in Gunnison a lot longer than I have. I've had that conversation. I've talked to people, tried to invite them to church, tried to share Jesus with them. Oh, I have a strong spiritual life. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I commune with nature and I pray to the squirrels and, and I, you know, throw sacrifices into the Gunnison River. Okay, they've never actually told me that. But go up to Crested Butte during Vinatok. It's just as bad. If not worse. I'm spiritual. Yeah, your spirit's going to hell. Unless you repent and turn to Jesus Christ. He died a physical death. He rose physically with a physical body. And he offers us peace. Jesus is our only source of true peace. Through Jesus, we have peace with God and the peace of God. And it's so important that we understand the difference between those two. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our sin separates us from God. And because of that, we are then enemies of God. We are at enmity with God. We are literally opposed to him. Until we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And he wipes out our sin. And at that moment, we are no longer the enemies of God. We are reconciled to him. And we have peace with him. But then in this life, all right, everything goes easy, right? Nobody has problems. Colossians 3.15 tells us to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us that as we pray about everything, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. We have the peace of God in our lives, and we cannot have that apart from Jesus Christ. Now, if you're anything like me, the peace of God, I tend to ignore. I know it's there, but I'm more interested in fretting over what's happening than I am in trusting him sometimes. But he offers it. And then Jesus offers further proof of his resurrection. He tells them not to doubt. He tells them to touch his scars. He tells them to not have troubled hearts, which I absolutely love. Because troubled hearts in our lives arise from not having a complete understanding of Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection is the proof that he is God. His resurrection is the proof that he has conquered sin. His resurrection is the proof that he conquered death. And his resurrection comes with the promise of eternal life to all who believe. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, Martha, when Lazarus died, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What a promise. I am never going to die. I will be annoying forever. Maybe that's part of the resurrected body. Maybe when I get a resurrected body, the annoying gene will go away. But I am never going to die. No believer in Christ is ever going to die. That is an incredible promise. Death, where is your victory? 
grave, where is your sting? Power of the grave is sin. And Jesus has overcome all of it. I'm never going to die, folks. One day this body will wear out. And the way I feel today, sooner rather than later. But maybe God will leave me here for a while longer. That's up to him. Whatever the case, when that day happens, I don't want anybody to cry over me. And I know some people will. I don't know why. I got a lot of life insurance. But some people will be upset. But you don't have to be. Because I'm not dead. All God did was rented me a U-Haul, picked up my spirit, and moved it along. Yeah, this body may be gone, but I will never die. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, neither will you. That's what we celebrate today. That's what we can celebrate every day of our lives. Paul said that some people esteem one day above another, and some people esteem every day alike. Let each person be convinced in their own mind. And I love that statement. And I love Easter, and I love Christmas, but here's the reality. Every day of my life, as a follower of Christ, I worship God that he sent his son I worship God that his son lived a perfect life. And I worship God that his son took my place on the cross. And I worship God that he rose from the dead. Every single day. Because no matter what else is going on, as I said earlier, there's nothing more important than that. And then, Jesus eats dinner. How cool is that? Now, I know you've all heard, most of you have heard anyway, about my theory that when I get to heaven, right, I love chicken fried steak. Love it. I can't eat chicken fried steak because I also have gout. And chicken fried steak, right, so red beef dropped in a deep fryer, right, not good for gout. So about once a year, I allow myself to have one. And then I drink like 300 ounces of water that day to make sure I don't have a gout attack. But when I get to heaven and I get a new body that doesn't have gout, I'm going to get a treat. I believe this. I can't prove it. It's not in the Bible. But I believe when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a tree that grows chicken fried steak. And it's going to be planted next to a river of peppered gravy. And I'm going to sit there with Jesus, my toe dipped in the gravy. And I'm going to pluck chicken fried steak off the tree and put it in there. And he's just going to tell me everything that I could possibly ever want to know. I'm just going to hang out with my Savior. And I'm going, to eat, I'm going to eat 15 chicken fried steaks in a row, not even have heartburn. Jesus ate after his resurrection. So my theory isn't as far-fetched as you think. Now, will I actually get a tree that grows chicken fried steak? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I really hope so. But the point is, when we get to heaven, we still get to eat. Come on. For a fat guy, that's awesome. As we close, Jesus, he is risen. risen The fact of the matter, both historically and biblically, is that Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, is risen from the grave. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is through Jesus and through Jesus alone that we have a living hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. For those of us who are believers, 
The resurrection of Christ should grow in its meaning for us. We should constantly marvel, worship, offer thanksgiving, and live our lives according to the life of our resurrected Savior. Romans 8.11 tells us, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I want you to think about that. Every day that you wake up, which has been all of them so far. You wake up with the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. Now this power doesn't live in you so you can do whatever you want. This power lives in you and me through the Holy Spirit so that each one of us as believers can live in, walk in, and experience the power of God moment by moment and day by day. We have access to this power through Jesus Christ and so we can live a life that glorifies him. It's for no other reason. If you think that power is in you so that you can get your will done on earth, nope. If you think that power lives in you so that you can get people around you to marvel at how great you are, no. That power does exist in each of us for his glory alone. For anyone who may be here who does not know Jesus as Savior, you have not come to the place of believing in Jesus and his death and resurrection, then I want you to know that today is the day for you to come to him and receive salvation. Billy Graham gave us steps to peace with God, which we talked about a little bit earlier. God had a plan, was number one. That he loves you, he created you to experience his peace in life, abundant life here and eternal life with him. And this is what he wants from each of us. That's why the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Our problem, being at peace with God, is not automatic. God has given us free will, and we often use that free will to choose to disobey him. This is sin, and sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 tells us, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. But of course, God has a remedy. Jesus died on the cross, taking our place and paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose again. And in so doing, Jesus bridged the gap between us and God and made the way for our salvation by believing in him. That's why the Bible says in Romans 5, 8 through 10, and then chapter 10, verse 9, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's our response? We must trust and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We turn from our sin, repenting of our sin. We believe in what he's done we know that what he's done is more than enough to save us and give us eternal life. John 1, 12 and 13, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, but of the will of man. Not of the will of man, sorry, but of God. So, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know that, if there's anybody here today who maybe has struggled with that or has walked away from it, today's the day to get right. 
And if anybody's joining us online or hears this recording at some other point, whatever day it is, it's the day to make it right. That's how much he loves you. He gave you his son. And all you need to have eternal life, like the thief on the cross that we talked about on Friday. Lord, remember me. Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So beautiful. I posted a clip about that, by the way, from Alistair Begg on the church's Facebook page. Check it out. It's great. Um, But that's the offer. That's the gift. That's what today is all about. It's really what every day should be all about. But that's what today is all about, is knowing what he's done for us and believing in it and giving him our lives. So if you're online or you hear this recording, get in touch with us. Leave me a comment. Leave me a message. Visit our website, newsongunnison.net. I would love to talk to you about knowing Christ as Savior. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, don't leave without knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory for the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love and grace that sent him to that cross. We thank you for the love and compassion and mercy that held him on that cross. And we thank you for the power that raised him from the dead and that that power dwells in us so that we can live our lives to glorify you. I pray, my King, that you have been glorified by what we've done here today. I pray that you are glorified as we continue throughout our day celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And we just, Lord, I just love you. And there aren't words big enough to express the gratitude that each of us has for the salvation you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. And one more. He is risen. He is risen.